join me this morning in Acts chapter 16, verse 25. Acts chapter 16, verse 25. I want to talk to you this morning about a heavy hallelujah. A heavy hallelujah. Uh, when you get to a place that your prayers turn into praise. When a prayer turns into praise. Uh, if you had to be an instrument... Which instrument would you be? That's a weird question, but if you had to be an instrument, which instrument would you have got a lot of here on the stage? Or if you've been in a concert band or symphony before, there's violin and cello and oboe and saxophone and flute and clarinet and percussion. If you had to pick one uh, and say, that's, that's me, that's me, uh, what would that say about your personality? So years ago, um, I grew up in a very musical family, and uh, we did band all through school at where I grew up. And there was a moment in the sixth grade, I believe, you had to choose what you would play for the rest of your career. It's kind of like a no pressure thing, right? It's like, hey, you're a sixth grader. You got to choose the instrument you're going to play until you're a senior in high school. And so I remember debating, what do I want to play? Was it the trombone? Uh, was it the French horn? Was it percussion? Because my dad was into that. And, and then, or was it the trombone? Because I had a pastor that used to play trombone. I kind of like the trombone. It's kind of cool. You know, in New Orleans, you see the guy walking down the street with a trombone. Uh, or was it the trumpet? And I took like a month just to think about which one it would be. And I settled on the trumpet because I felt like that's, that's what I want to play. You know, uh, you've got Miles Davis and Dizzy Gillespie and Louis Armstrong. And you got all these guys that I really like that kind of music. Wynton Marsalis. Uh, I like jazz, and so I settled on the trumpet and played that all through school. But that says a little bit about if you had to ask what your instrument was, what would it be? Every person in here, though, the Bible says is an instrument of worship to the Lord. You are specifically, the Bible says, made to worship God. Mankind was made to be an instrument of worship to the Lord. And so when we say worship, what do we mean? Worship. Scripture says we exist to worship, but what is worship? Worship is our life's response to the worth of God. Worthship is really how you'd say the word. The real root word is not worship, but worthship. What is the worth of God? And it's our life's response. So the Bible says God alone is to be worshiped. That we worship is when we, our lives reverently reflect His holiness. Worship is a reflection of who God is. It's our response to reflect Him. It means to uh, focus only on Him, and our lives become a reflection of His greatness, His work, His holiness. And so worship is, let me say it this way, it's a position to His presence. Worship is your life's position to God's presence. Worship literally means to kiss the ground, to bow down. So worship is your life's bowing to the presence of who God is. It means that I, I worth Him. I see worth in who God is. So I position my life in such a way to bow before His presence. And that's literally what the word worship means. Worship is only perfect right now in heaven. It's when we bow low. Worship on earth, though, it brings God's blessing, His guidance, His deliverance. It brings joy. It brings His presence into this place. And worship can even, in the Bible, give you boldness to witness and even convict other people to see who God is. And so there's worship. And we say, well, what about praise? What is praise then? If worship is to bow down and it's the position of our lives to His presence, praise is an element of worship. Praise is a part of worship. Praise is an element of it. It's a, if worship is our position, then praise is our proclamation. 
Praise is the declaration of who you just saw God to be. So I'm positioning, in a sense, if I give you an illustration, praise is, or worship is your position to bow before His presence, and then praise is the proclamation, right? You don't really see God rightly until you see God holy. And so when you position your life in His presence, that's worship. But when you see Him and you proclaim Him, then that's praise. Amen? Praise. Praise is that element. Praise can involve confession. It can involve reading scripture, maybe singing. Some of us are good, or maybe it's just the shower. You know, that's okay. But singing to God, who He is, it's music. We all kind of have all kinds of music today. There's even dancing, whether you grew up that way or not. But there's dancing in the Bible. Let's just let you know, there's going to be dancing in heaven. Some of y'all need to get ready. Myself included. I'm not a dancer. I don't, you know, I don't dance. But, but there's going to be dancing in heaven. And dancing is proclamation of who God is. All right? Praise. You know the word hallelujah? Anybody know what it means? It means praise the Lord. Turn to somebody and say hallelujah. hallelujah. That means praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah means praise the Lord. And Psalms 22 verse 3 says that the Lord is seated or enthroned or inhabits or dwells on the praise of Israel, his people. So worship is when your life bows low, and praise is when you lift him up. I love it. Worship is when your life bows low, but praise is when you lift him up. You know, the problem, though, for me is I don't always feel like praise. I love God. Don't get me wrong. I give up my life for the Lord, give up my career, move my family, give up every week for the Lord. My life is the Lord's. I love God with all my heart. I love God. But it's not always easy. It's not always easy. In fact, there are many days I just don't feel like it. I don't feel like playing the song that I was made for. There are moments if I'm an instrument of the Lord, I don't feel like playing. I don't feel like getting into that moment. I don't, I, I love God. I trust Him. But sometimes it's hard to rejoice. Sometimes in your life it can be hard to shout, hard to dance, hard to sing. Moments you've tried your best, but things just don't work out like you thought they would. Moments when you feel alone, when you feel there's darkness all around you, when your circumstance doesn't look good, maybe you're feeling pain, or maybe just the devil just hasn't given up trying to get you. We all have moments like that. When the devil doesn't stop attacking when you feel like you're in a prison of problems and it's hard to be an instrument of God. I know many of us in this room, just be real, many of us in this room, I know you, I'm your pastor, I've known you these last two years. These last two years have been some of the hardest in many of your lives, including mine. It's been hard to lose loved ones. It's been hard to go through financial hardship and the economy that this world is in. It's been hard to uh, face the financial challenges, the health issues, the changes in life. And sometimes a hallelujah can be heavy. But there's a moment when that prayer can turn to praise. And there is a song you were meant to play. Each of you has a song you were meant to play. And it's in those moments when you have a heavy hallelujah that you can think in your mind that I was made for this moment. I was made to play this song. What I play in the next few moments is going to be really what I was made for. Because when you fill your problems with praise, God's presence takes up residence. That's what I want to talk about today. When you feel your problems with praise, 
When you fill that problem with praise, God's presence comes and takes up residence. We can plant a church with praise. Somebody say amen. Look at me in Acts 16, verse 25. I want to talk to you about the first prison ministry. When you fill your problem with praise, God's presence takes up residence. So here we have Paul, the apostle, and Silas, a prophet. Timothy, a young disciple of Paul, and Luke, a Gentile doctor. They've made it to Philippi by the Holy Spirit. And they uh, saw this young lady named Lydia, a businesswoman, saved them by the river. Uh, and now they are preaching. Every single week, maybe every single day, they're going down to this river, a place of prayer, and they're proclaiming the gospel. And every day they go there, a demonically possessed girl who is a fortune teller who's making her masters much money begins to proclaim behind Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke, Behold, these men are mighty men of God, and they're showing you the way to get saved. And now this is a demonic possessed person. You think, well, why in the world would that be happening? Maybe perhaps the devil was going to kind of throw his side to their side and then all of a sudden switch and tell a lie, right? Just be careful who's praising you, by the way. Be careful who's building you up. Paul got so annoyed with it after many days, he turned and he spoke to the demon inside the girl. He says, get out in the name of Jesus. And immediately the demon fled. And then her masters got a little angry, right? They couldn't make money off this demonic girl any longer. So they had Paul and Silas, uh, who didn't look like they were Roman, uh, thrown in jail. They seized them. It, they got a riot involved. They tore off their robes. They beat them, the Bible says, innumerably with rods. Then they commanded the jailer to put them in the innermost prison, the innermost jail, the dungeon in Philippi. And then they put their feet in stocks. Anybody know what stocks are? It's like those wooden things where you know you see your, your head and your arms, but there's feet version too. You put your feet in it, and then it clamps down. And they put their feet in stocks in the bottommost part of a Philippian jail. Let me tell you something. Uh, anybody know what gravity is? In a jail that doesn't have indoor plumbing, things go down. Okay? Just painting you a picture. All right? Things go to the bottom. And Paul and Silas are there. And look in verse 25. Now about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of what? Praise to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there came a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were unfastened. And when the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice and said, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And he called for lights, and he rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, even you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him, uh, together with all who were in his house, and he took them that very hour of the night. He washed their wounds, and immediately he was baptized, he and all of his house. And he brought them into his house and set food before them and rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole household. First thing is they were in prison. You know the devil really hates it when you pray? Look how the devil came. 
on their way to a prayer meeting, the devil was sure to bother them every single day. You know, God, the devil, he has his sights on a praying believer. Man, every praying believer, he's like, I'm going to do what I can do just to annoy the heck out of them every single time, every day along the way. I'm just going to be there just to annoy them. And you know, that's how he works. He wants to do anything he can do to get you out of your prayer closet, out of your prayer life, get you away from the presence of God, and to eliminate the platform from your life. They had a platform based on their prayer life. I want you to know that. They were going down to a prayer meeting, and that prayer meeting became the platform for their ministry. And that's the same for you and for me. Whenever you are a praying believer, you create a platform for God to use you, that you have spent time in the presence of God, and that means that God is going to begin to use you and do great things. The devil knew that. So he sent something to bother them. Luke says that this was a python spirit. You know what a python is? It's like that snake that slowly gets close, and it just slowly begins to get around you, and before you know it, it puts a squeeze on you. You ever feel like the devil does that to you? It's like it's not something just like a, like a lion. Sometimes he comes like that, but sometimes he comes like a python, just wrapping his ways. One time it was just, I mean, these guys are awesome. They're giving praise, and before you know it, that thing's done turned on you. And that python began to wrap around them, and Paul began to recognize this python spirit, and he rebuked that spirit in Jesus' name. And guess what happened? Man, he stored up a hornet's nest. That's how it can be sometimes. Just be ready. If you begin to take authority in your life with Jesus Christ, you begin to declare the name of Jesus over that situation, and oh man, Satan got mad. What do you do? He got a whole mob against them. As soon as they took authority over the enemy, they set this little girl free. He caused a riot of ungodly men. And look what they did. They didn't even defend themselves. They just began to entrust themselves to God. They were beaten, they were bloody, and they were bound in the stocks. You know, when you begin to take a stand for Christ in your school or in your workplace or in your family, just get ready. Just get ready. It's about to be on. But there's hope in this. Watch. Satan began to take their prayer meeting. He began to take their platform. And now he was about to go after their praise. Sometimes in life... You can feel like you're in a prison of problems. How many know what I mean? It's like one thing after another. Pastor Christian and I was talking about, it's like, man, that phrase, when it rains, it pours, sometimes can be true. You know, it's like one thing, this thing breaks, the next thing breaks, and this happens, and this happens, and it's like, I just got over this problem, now there's another problem. They were in a prison of problems. Sometimes you get in a moment where all you see is dark, all you feel is pain, and there are seasons in your life where everything is a cold, hard stone, where you feel like all you hear, no doubt in a prison, all they could hear was other people's problems. You ever feel like that? All I can hear is an echo of other people's problems all the way around me. I got my own problems, but I'm hearing all I can hear is just negativity all around me. I'm in darkness. Everything is bound. I can't move. I want to get out of this situation, but I can't even walk. I can't even get out of this situation. I'm stuck here in a pit, in a prison of problems. And then you get to a moment, you say, God, this is it. Oh, I got, I got any emotional tank. My emotional tank is empty. My mental tank is empty. I can't even think straight. I have nothing left to feel. I'm dead on the inside. I have nothing left to get. All I'm here, I'm just sitting here. You ever got like that before? Man, I have. You get to a moment where you have nothing left. And this is it. You see, that's when your heart song really matters. You see, in that moment, you are made to play this song. You are made to play the song that you're about to write in that moment. There's a melody that only you can write. And see, there's a, that moment they begin to pray. 
And you have to begin to pray through until you used to say breakthrough. Is that right, Miss Evelyn? We used to talk about breaking through, laboring in prayer. They begin to labor in prayer in this heart song moment. They begin to labor until there was a breakthrough. They begin to worship in the waiting. And that's sometimes the most hardest time is to worship in the waiting. You don't see the end or the light at the end of the tunnel. You don't know how this is going to happen. You don't even know what God's going to do. Yeah, I heard that Peter got out by an angel, but I don't see an angel in my situation. I heard that the apostles got out one time, that, that they did that, but I don't know about my situation. I heard that God did that for them. I'm not sure if God's going to do that for me. How many people have been there before? Man, I don't know how we're going to get out of this moment. I don't know how we're going to see a lot of the end of the tunnel. They just said, I'm going to begin to worship in the waiting. In the middle of the enemy's prison, they began to plant a church with praise. Now watch this. Praise. These men began to put on a concert for an audience of one. Ah, I love that. They began to put on a concert for an audience of one. It was two-part harmony, John. Two-part harmony. They began to put on a concert for the audience of one. When they should have been moaning at midnight, their thoughts and affections were turned to God. No doubt what started off with praying, oh God, please help me get out of this. I don't know how we're going to get out of this, God. Then it began to turn to Scripture. I believe they began to quote Scripture. and that, that began to remind them of who God is and what God has done before. Man, I remember when He parted the waters of the Red Sea. I remember when He, when he brought manna down from heaven. I remember how He brought water out of a rock. Man, that's our God. That's the God that we're serving. That's the God we're praying to. And in that moment, that prayer turned to praise. Man, when you get your thoughts and affections on who God is, and you position your life in worship, God, I'm on my knees. I got nothing left. I see who you are. But when I begin to really grasp your holiness, then even though my knees are on the floor, my hands can go up. I begin to declare who you are as I position myself in your presence. I begin to proclaim who you are. They begin to proclaim him. It's like that moment when David, the Bible says in uh, 1 Samuel 30, verse 6, David had just lost his whole family to the Philistine enemy, and it says that he was exhausted. His friends turned against him, and everything, all of his strength had failed. He had nothing left. Everybody was against him, and, and he said, the Bible says, he encouraged himself in what? In the Lord. David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. What were these guys singing in that moment, some commentators say they were singing Psalms 113 through Psalms 118. Here's some of those phrases. It says, the dead don't praise the Lord. No to any who go down to hell to silence. But as for us, we will bless the Lord from this time right now and forevermore. Even if I die, I'm going to bless the Lord. If I live, I'm going to bless the Lord. There was Psalms 115. Maybe it was Psalms 118, verse 6. The Lord is for me. I will not fear. What can man do to me? They begin to sing maybe Psalm 18, verses 14. The Lord is my strength. He is my song. He's become my salvation. Here, look at verse 15. The sound of joyful shouting and salvation is in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. Verse 17. I will not die, but I'll live even if it's in eternity, and I'll tell the works of the Lord. Man, live or die, I'll play, bless the Lord. It doesn't matter to me. If I get out of here, I'll praise the Lord. If I die, I'll live forever and praise the Lord. So I'm just going to keep on praising the Lord whether I live or die. That's the kind of songs they might have been singing that night. Just saying, man, God is for me. Who can be against me? There's a, uh, in, I read it earlier today in Philippians 2, verse 10. The old church hymn, 
Later, Paul would write that hymn back to this very church in Philippi. And it says that under the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Those who are in heaven and earth and under the earth, verse 11, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Very likely, Paul was thinking about that hymn that the early church was singing just down the road in Philippi. And he was singing, Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And he would begin to singing that song. That's one of the first songs the early church ever wrote was that song. And they began to sing it. So who's your heart song playing to? Sometimes we play to all kinds of audiences. We can play to our family, play to our friends, play to people's opinions. You can begin to play that problem on a record. And you'll be playing that problem to everybody around you. Let me play this problem song. I got all kinds of problems. Let me tell you what my problems are. It's like we sing in country or something, <laughs> the blues. And our song is on that record. And you're playing to an audience that who could ever could hear your complaints? Who could hear you? And, and all the moaning that could be going on in that prison. Man, there's like a, all, a country music concert happening in that prison. And everybody's playing the blues. Everybody's lost something. Everybody's dog died, right? Everybody's ex left them, you know? And they could be playing that. But they begin to play to a different audience. Man, I hope the church is listening this morning. Play to an audience of one. Play to a different audience. In the middle of that problem, begin planting some praise and begin to tell that problem who your God is. Who's your heart song playing to? Even if your feet are bound, your soul is free. Somebody say amen. amen. Your feet can be bound, but your soul can be free. They were in a prison. They began to praise to an audience of one. But there was also some people there. Not only did God hear their praise, but so did, the Bible says, the prisoners... So many, got to get this, many people are asleep, it's, it's midnight, there's probably some guy moaning down here in the next dungeon over, there became an echo, we just sang a song called Echo, there became an echo down the hall, reverberation down the walls, right? And somebody began to wake up and said, what is that sound? What do I hear? And they begin to get louder, begin to get louder, people begin to wake up, not to moaning, but to worship. These men began to wake up to worship. This place that was a place of death was becoming a place of life. And they began to lead prisoners into the presence of God. Now, you know, we have people in the modern church called worship leaders. And what is a worship leader? Really, we should use a different term. It's lead worshiper. Because a worship leader can kind of become a performer. In the modern church, we can do a lot of performing. We're, we're trying to put on a spectator sport here. But a lead worshiper is someone that off the stage and on the stage, they're the same person. They lead their life. They lead others into worship, into the presence of God. And so one of the challenges for a worship leader to do, a person who's a song leader, is not just to get up here and sing a song, but to themselves, get themselves into a place of worship, to bow down in God's presence, to lift up their hearts in praise, and then to be an example of where we should be going together. And that's what they were doing in that moment. They weren't just on their own little thing. They were taking people with them in this journey to see who God is. And that's the question for me to you today. How are we lead worshipers everywhere we go? 
in our workplace, in our school, in our families, when things get tough and we're talking in a few weeks at the holiday tables and they begin to complain about this or that, the economy or situations in our family or so-and-so who's off into drugs or things that are going wrong in our family and I wish the gossip would stop. And we begin to turn the record player on, so to speak, of all the echoes that are the moanings and groanings. But there should be a voice of resonance in the church that begins to say, let me play a different song. Let me lead you differently. While everyone else is doing this, let me stand apart and do this. I'm going to lead you to something bigger. Let's get on our knees and bow before who He is. Let's lift up our hands and get a declaration of who God is in the midst of all this stuff. Yeah, we're all in a prison of problems. We're going to be in a prison of problems till Jesus comes back. But let's invite Jesus in the middle of this problem. You see, people are listening to how you preach through your praise. How are you preaching through your... There was no platform here for preaching, but there was a platform for praise. They begin to preach through their praise. You see, the world, I think, needs real Christians with real problems to show them what real worship looks like. Real Christians with real problems. I don't want fake Christians with fake problems. I don't want the glossy thing. I don't want to do it to do it. Don't just give me the Sunday school answer. Tell me how raw and real your life is, and let me see how God got you through it. I don't want something fake. I don't want polished Christianity. I want raw, real Christianity. I told Pastor Christian this morning that this Friday I was not in a good place, emotionally, spiritually, in a wreck. And I, I go... I take this message that I'm working on, and I take this message and I, in my house, and I just to do what David did, encourage myself in the Lord. And I wrote that, rewrote this message for four hours, and I said, God, I don't have, I'm done. I don't have it. I turned on a CD, my favorite artist. I just laid, nobody was at home, I just laid on that couch and just rested in the Lord, half asleep, half awake. You ever had that before? Lay before the Lord? And just listen to the Lord. Just rest in Him. And I got up, got my guitar, and I just began to pour out my heart to God with just tears. Say, God, this is, this is it. This is my heart song in this moment. This is all I got. I'm in a prison of problems. But God, you're God. And there's no God like my God. You see, we are real people with real problems, and the world needs to see real worship. Real worship, not just come to church, sing three hymns and go home, but real worship, daytime worship, nighttime worship, in the middle of the night worship, when they've got problems on your table worship, when people are looking to see, how are you preaching through your praise? People are listening. People are watching. Who could you be waking up with your worship? When you fill your problems with praise, God's presence takes up residence. All right, so now... All the prison has just filled with praise. And about midnight, heaven starts moving. Heaven begins to move about midnight. All the moaning that had been going on began to get drowned out by the praise of just two men. And they woke up this whole prison. You see, the ancient Jews had a saying that where two persons meet, there's ever a third. And Paul and Silas began to pray, and that prayer turned to praise. As that prayer turned to praise, Jesus walked in that prison, and he began to set up his throne. It was like Daniel chapter 3, when the three Hebrew boys were in the fire, and a fourth man was found, as a fourth man just walked in the room, right? 
Paul and Silas couldn't get out, but Jesus could get in. Jesus began to walk in that place and begin to set up residence in that prison. Now, I want you to think about this. For the first time, that prison wall, these brick stone walls, began to hear the gospel. They had only been hearing cursing, complaining, and moaning for years since they'd been built. That's all they heard was the depravity of man. But for the first time, there was an echo off the walls and down the halls of the gospel. Man, they began to sing the gospel, began to praise the gospel, began to declare the gospel. And for the first time, these prison walls began to hear the gospel message. And for the first time, these walls began to hear the name of Jesus, the name that just cast out a demon just outside these walls just a few days ago. That name began to get declared down the hallways. That same name that moves mountains, walks on water, you know, opens blind eyes and deaf ears, raises the dead. That name began to echo down the hallways and reverberate off every stone cobble wall through those prison doors across those chains and into the ears of every man in that place. And just like Jericho walls, man, that place began to shake. And the Lord, the heavens began to shout. Every door, every chain, everything broke in the name of Jesus. I want you, and it says, it wasn't just Paul and Silas's chains. It says it was every person's chains. Who are you freeing with your worship? You know, I love when I come into a service and I don't feel so good, but I can come in with you people. And then y'all help me, remind me who God is. Sometimes it encourages me just to be around people who are worshipers. I need worshipers in my life. I need praying people, praising people in my life to remind me that, man, my chains can fall off too. Man, that's what we are as the church, to declare God's presence in this place. Paul and Silas couldn't get out of their problems, but Jesus walked in. Every single prisoner was freed through their praise. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Have I invited God's presence to take up residence in my problem? See, He takes up rule. He takes up residence when we invite His presence into this place. Whatever problem you are. I mean, that night they planted the second Philippian church in the middle of a prison. In the middle of a problem, they said, we're going to plant a church right here. We got one on the outside, but let's plant one right here. With our praise, they planted a church. And look what happens next. The story doesn't end. There's, it produced something. There was a prison. There was some praise. There was some people. Then God's presence came in, and now there was a pro, uh, the produce of that. What happened? The story doesn't end with just this captive slave girl freed, but a captive jailer freed from his sin. See, that jailer act thought he was free, but he was the one really in captivity to his, to his sin. And that night, before the jailer could commit suicide, which is what you did if you lost your prisoners, you had to, an honorable thing to do to take your own life, Paul stops him, and they declare Jesus to him. The same message they've been preaching from the beginning. They got that platform back. See, Satan meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. He tried to take their prayer life. He tried to take their platform, but through their praise, they got it all back again. They preached Jesus to his family. And look at that. They didn't even walk out when they had the opportunity. Paul could have ran out, ah, we're free. No, but they said, God's going to do something to this man's life. There was such a reverent awe in that place with the presence of God. Not any prisoner ran away. What could have, man, what, what is the feeling? What was the environment in a moment of shock and awe when God's presence just whoosh, walked in that prison? Nobody moved. There was such a holiness that someone else is in this place with us. We wanted to get out, but somebody else walked in. They didn't move. 
The jailer said, what is going on? What do I got to do to be saved? Man, you know when God's presence comes in this place, it's better than any preaching. Man, when God's presence comes in to your life and your workplace and your family, you can memorize all the sermons you want, but it's not going to do anything if there's not God's presence in the middle of that. Man, God's presence came in and immediately, they didn't even preach a sermon, and the guy got saved. Oh, that would happen again today. His presence began to produce something. I want you to note, too, at the very end, and I'm almost done. The prison, the prison guard washed their wounds. And then it says he got baptized immediately. <clears throat> the same water that washed their wounds was the same water that baptized that man. What was their wounds became worship. The thing that was their test became a testimony. The thing that was the pain of their life. Sometimes you go through something else for somebody else. Sometimes you go through that. All their wounds, it was soothed by the same water that would be baptizing that man. I'm thinking, God, what a beautiful act of worship. The thing that healed me is the thing that, God, you did by me going through this. I get the healing and the soothing when I see what is on the other side. When I got to the other side of this, I see, God, I went through this to see this man and his whole family saved. And, God, what I see in that baptismal water is the same water that's healing me. Man, I, that wouldn't have happened if I sat there moaning through the night. You see, later, Paul would write back to this same church with that same jailer, Philippians 4, verse 8. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Man, the same message. Hey, I'm going to remind you guys, and when did he write that? When he was in a Roman prison again. And he wrote back to the same church that he had a prisoner in, the jailer is in that church. He says, guys, I'm going to tell you something. I know I'm in a prison again. I don't know what God's doing, but rejoice in the Lord. I know what he did before. I know what he can do again. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. I'll tell you a quick story and then close. Some years ago, the story goes, three primitive Methodist preachers went to a mission town in Worcestershire and they commenced the service. Now there's a magistrate and a clergyman and a constable. The constable, the sheriff, was ordered to take the preacher down. Took him down, put him in prison. But there was immediately a second preacher. And he jumped up and he began preaching right away. Now the magistrate ordered the constable, now take the second preacher, put him in jail. As soon as he took the second guy, the third preacher jumped up and he began to preach. He had orders to take the third and he put all three together in the prison, but they began to make such a noise there. The magistrate went to the constable and he said, man, what noise these three preachers are making, go and separate them. Don't let them like make a noise like that. So the man went in, he separated the three preachers, he put two of them in a cell with the robber, but they preached the gospel to the robber. They preached to him, they prayed with him, he got converted. Now there's more noise now than there ever was before. And the magistrate comes and says, I told you to separate those men. The jailer said, well, I separated them, but if I separate them again, they'll all get it. Now the robber is bad off as they were, right? Sometimes we need to look at our praise that way. That everywhere I go, everywhere you go, how are you praising through the middle of a problem? And you're planting God's presence in that place. You're saying, God, 
I don't know what it looks like. I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. Lord, I know I'm in a prison of problems, but Lord, I'm going to invite your presence to take up residence here. I'm going to plant a church in the middle of this problem. In the middle of this problem, I'm going to declare who God is. Even if I don't see it, I don't understand it, I don't feel it yet. God, I just know that your presence takes up residence when I praise. God, I'm just going to invite your praise into this problem. That's what we're going to do right here, right now. Would you bow your heads with me for a moment? Worship team, would you come? You are God's instrument. You are a lead worshiper. And sometimes you have to lift up a heavy hallelujah. Sometimes you just have to praise the Lord. You've got to witness through your worship. You've got to preach through your praise. You've got to invite God to take up residence in that moment, in that problem. Plant a church in the middle of your problems by praising the Lord.